This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Aloha. Oh, some of you have been there before. I can see that already. Uh, I want to say good morning to you. And uh, boy, we have a wonderful morning. We have a ton of things packed into it. So the pace will be a little bit quicker than normal, but um, uh, it's all very meaningful stuff. I want to get it all packed in. So uh, I want to say uh, welcome to each one of you. I'm very grateful to be back from Hawaii. We had a whole lot of fun while we were there. It's hard not to enjoy two grandchildren, a son, a daughter-in-law, and a whole bunch of people we used to work in ministry with for a number of years. So we just had a great time. And uh, I want to show you a picture that probably needs no explanation. Take a look at it. Doesn't that look like fun? Yeah, that was after about a two-mile hike straight up a hill. But, uh, yeah, the scenery was beautiful. The uh, younger couple there are our son and daughter-in-law, Anthony and Sienna. And uh, this church, believe it or not, owes a great debt of gratitude to those two. For its first two years, Anthony was the worship leader for this church. And uh, Sienna was a big help in many, many ways. So uh, there you go. There's a little uh, family tour of where we've been. And uh, it's great to be back. For those of you who are first-time guests, I want to say a special welcome to you. I know that it can be a scary thing to walk into a church where you're pretty sure that everybody knows everybody except for you. And that's not really true. Um, Uh, We're all getting to know each other. There are many, many new people, and every Sunday there were always, uh, in this church, many first-time guests. And so we welcome you as part of our family, at least for the morning, and uh, hopefully beyond that if God so directs in your life. But even if it's only for this morning, I've already prayed that this will be a, a very dynamic morning in your life. Not because you connect with me, but because you connect with God. Because the message that God has for you today from His Word is a message of tremendous life change, and we will work our way through that uh, together. And uh, you know the gardener that came out, and I know it might have been difficult for you to hear what he had to say, but uh, you know, experts, many experts will tell us that if you actually talk to your plants, they do better. Now, I've never tried that because I was afraid someone would walk up when I was doing that. And, and they might suspect a few other things. But I can tell you that many people who very successfully raise plants uh, will speak to them and talk to them. Uh, and whether you buy into that or not, here's something that all experts agree on. Every plant that is lovingly nurtured tends to do better than every plant that's neglected. That much we can all get on board with. You know what that means in your life? In many places in the Bible, our lives are, are, are symbolized by plants. And what God is saying is He has a great desire to nurture us, but the deal is you have to accept God's nurturing. And there's even another dimension to it, and that is God has given you the ability to nurture yourself. I didn't say spoil yourself. We're all pretty good at that. There's a big difference, but if you'll nurture your life, it's amazing. You notice that our tree today is is all in full bloom, uh, and that's what happens in our lives. 
when we decide that we will allow God to nurture us and then we will do our part in making sure that we nurture ourselves. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about transformation. Now you're going to see a a, a short skit here. It's called The Portrait of Jeremy. And Jeremy is very typical of a lot of us, and that is we get a little deceived by the trappings of success. And we end up thinking that we're something we're actually not. And every once in a while, God has a way of making sure that life gives us a reality check or two. So take a look at the portrait of Jeremy. Thank you, thank you, thank you, dear friends. I want you to know that my book, The Golden Rule, Ancient Secrets for Modern Success, could not have been completed, much less made it to the top ten on the New York bestseller list without the help of my lovely wife, Catherine, and our little princess, Amanda, who gave me such inspiration. So come on up here. Jeremy Coombs, ladies and gentlemen. Isn't he just the picture of success? You know, it's a perfect likeness of you, dear. Oh, that, that was my biggest surprise. And I am so pleased. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, thank all of you for helping to celebrate my husband's success. He's catching a late flight tonight for New York where he's beginning his book signing tour. So we're going to have to say... Good night. Good night. Your book. Oh, I need your book, honey. Daddy, can I give you my present before you go? Oh, honey, I need to meet with my lawyer right now. What's a lawyer? Oh, a lawyer? He is the one who makes sure that I do everything right. Don't you know when you're doing everything right? Uh, yes, of, of course I do. Then why do you need a lawyer? Um... Well, because he he tells me when people or other people are doing things wrong. Can I have a lawyer, too? <laughs> Honey, you don't need one. Can I have one when I get bigger? Hopefully you won't need one. <laughs> now, you go get ready for bed. I'll come in and kiss you before I go, okay? Mommy, Daddy says I can't have a lawyer. <laughs> hey, my... hey, Jeremy, how are you? Oh, good. Good, good. Yeah. Hey, listen, if you sign these papers before you go... That Ontario property can be in escrow while you're gone. It should close the first of next month. Excellent. Now, how does that new siding look around the front door? Good as new. (laughs) So, no inspector's ever going to be able to know that 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 wall was eaten by termites there? No. But as your legal counsel, I must advise you that... no, no, no. I would rather have termites eating the wall than repair bills... Eating my profit margin. Now, what about that eminent domain easement? Oh, it appears from the property map there's no mention of it. But if... Oh, no, that's good. That's good. That means the buyers, they would have to know where to look in the city clerk's office in order to find out that their front door is going to be three feet from a four-lane highway next year. Do they? Do they what? Know where to look. Oh, oh, no. They're old people. (laughs) So, we've got it covered then. 
It appears that you do. That's all I care about. Well, here's your copy. Okay. Good work, Mike. All right. I'll see you, you soon take as I care. get back. Sounds good. By the way, I have to tell you, that's an amazing likeness. <laughs> you know, I had no idea that Catherine had... Excuse me, sir. Can I talk to you for a minute? Make it quick, Sam. I've, I've got a plane to catch. I just wanted to say, sir, that, that, that I'm sorry. I okay. Had, I had no right to mouth off you at the board meeting yesterday. I'm sure you don't hand out the best sales stories to people who kick, kiss your boots. Well, why did you tell them, then, that I set people up for failure? I was just humiliated, sir. My quotas are below par again last quarter, and yeah. I know the three strikes and you're out rule. I say stupid things when I get frustrated. No hard feelings? Okay. Forgiven. Oh, thanks. And forgotten. Really? Really. And to prove it to you, here, I'm going to call my secretary and tell her to reassign you to a new territory. You will? Thanks. Carrie, would you please uh, reassign Sam Horton to Baltimore? There. You see? It's all taken care of. Oh, thank you, sir. It's more than I deserve. No, I think it's exactly what you deserve. Oh, great picture, sir. It looks like the real you. What? No. Hi, Chair. Is everything okay? Uh, does, that, does that picture look different? Um, different than what? Different than it looked at the party a little while ago. Um, no. In fact, I really like the way the artist has captured your eyes. Do I look like that? Well, yes, and I should know. Working with you for a whole year, sun up to sun down, you really get to know what a person looks like. Maybe, maybe I'm just tired. Let me ask you a question. Why are you sending Sam Horton to Baltimore? <laughs> Why do you ask? Doesn't everybody fail in Baltimore? Exactly. Oh, I see. It's the old three strikes you're out. That's it. Oh, that's one way to get what you want. I, uh, I always get what I want. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know why you're sending the other sales reps. I have your itinerary. Uh, after the book signing tour, you'll be in New York territory. I've got it right here. Oh, okay. You oh, go. you've got it all worked out. I've got Parker and Phillips there in L.A., and Grant and Hendricks there in Memphis. Poor Sam alone in Baltimore, and that leaves me. Where am I going? Oh, New York. Wait, you'll be in New York. As I said, I always get what I want. Okay, well... Here's your ticket. There you are, sir. Wow. I really wish that I could have a wallet sized of that portrait. It's such an amazing likeness. No! That can't be me! You know, that's funny because that's him, right? 
Can you imagine what would happen if every morning when you got up and you went into the restroom, instead of the mirror showing you kind of what you are on the outside, it actually was a picture of what you had become? Um, we give us all pause to stop and think and reflect. And uh, so let's talk about that subject of transformation. I want you to take your program. I want you to look at the title. Let's go over the title together. The first word is transformation. And I know that sometimes we struggle with that. So let's look at what it means. Transformation actually means not just better, but what? Different. Yeah, God's, God's not in the business of taking us and just polishing us up a little bit and putting us out there and saying, well, that's the new and improved version. But God actually wants to make us different. As we get into, we're right in the middle of a, of a, of a letter in the Bible called the book of Colossians. It's actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in the ancient town of Colossae which would be in modern-day Turkey. And like all of the other letters that are included in the New Testament of the Bible, this letter actually has two different sections. The first section is, is the theological section. And, and I like to think of theology as the foundation. It's, it's what God reveals about life and how life actually works. And he wants us to know and understand that because if we don't understand kind of the structure that undergirds all of life, then we will never have a life that's worth living because we'll live all of our life in confusion. And we'll be doing the trial and error method of trying to figure out what life is all about. So God says, let me tell you the truth about life. And in its proper form and basic form, that's theology. There is one God. You were created to be His children. He wants, you, he wants to be your Father. But, but there's a problem in your life, and it's called sin. And that sin has separated you from your God. And He sent Jesus into the world to take care of that sin problem so you could be reunited with God, who is your Father, and someday be taken to live with Him forever. That's the truth about life. And that's basic theology. It's the foundation of your life. But then there's the whole practical living side of life. And that's the second section in every one of these letters. It's now that you understand the basics of life, what does that look like in your interpersonal relationships? And what should that look like in your daily life? And, and so the second section is that practical living section. For the first three chapters, uh, two chapters of this book, we've been into the theology over the last four weeks. Now we get into the practical living section. And I have to tell you that this particular, just, just this passage that I'm going to be speaking to you this morning happens to be one of my very favorites in the entire Bible. It just, it's so intensely wonderful. And in it, God's going to show us three specific transformations that He wants to bring about in our lives. And they are revolutionary, and they are radical, and they will really change us. Not just put a little polish on our life, but they will actually make us different people. And they are what He, what he calls us to today. You see, woven throughout the Bible is this concept of transformation and, and just to show you one of those, take a look here in 2 Corinthians, what the Bible says. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? 
a new, not just, not just a little bit different, not just the same old person with a little spit and polish, but a whole new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And I think you understand why I think that passage is great. Because that's really what our church is about. That's why it's called New Life Christian Fellowship. It's about the transforming and the changing of our lives from what we used to be to what God wants us to be and is enabling us to become. And this passage we're going to look at today here in Colossians takes us through those three transformations. So let me read you the first four verses of our Bible teaching. It says, Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now think about the things of heaven. I want you to underline that particular phrase. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of His glory. Now, there's a lot in that passage. I'm just going to draw one principle out of it, and that principle is this first transformation. Followers of Christ choose and develop a different perspective on time. In fact, he gives us three reasons why, as followers of Christ, God is calling us to to a whole different perspective on time. And let's take a look at what those are. The first perspective is because virtually all of life takes place in eternity. If you and I were to look at a timeline that included all of eternity, what portion of that timeline would represent the 70, 80, or 90 years that you and I would live on this earth? It would be just a tiny little bit right up here at the beginning. Because all of the rest of it is going to take place in eternity. Our problem is we get so focused on these first little years of our life that the vast majority of our life goes almost without thought, even though it's the majority of our life. Now, Jesus calls us to have a different perspective. In this church, for our staff and ministry leaders, we have eight leadership principles, one of which is this. We will keep one eye always on eternity. And that's healthy. What did Paul say? What did I have you underline? Think about the realities of heaven. Yeah. Now, Paul uses two phrases to help us with that. Number one, he says, set your sights. That's a very, very, uh, what shall I say? It's a very picturesque sort of sort of word phrase. What I think about is when I go golfing, all right? Because when I golf, believe it or not, I don't always hit the ball in the fairway. It's hard to imagine, I know, right? In fact, every once in a while I do hit the ball in the fairway. But when I hit the ball out of the fairway, I've learned something over the years. When you hit the ball out of the fairway, it's a lot harder to find than when you hit it in the fairway, right? So when you hit the ball out of the fairway, the best thing that you can do is put your eye right on the spot where the ball went out of the fairway and just walk straight toward it. And if you do that, most of the time you'll walk right to your ball and you'll find it. But if you kind of look over there and go, oh, yeah, I think I know where it is, and you visit with your friends and you walk up the fairway and you think, well, I'm going to go over and find my ball. You can look a long time for your ball. 
in that thick grass and in the weeds. And a lot of times you'll never find your ball. Why? Because you didn't set your sights on where the ball was. Same thing is true in this life. If we don't set our sights on heaven, it just kind of fades into the background. In fact, one of the great questions you could ask yourself was, when was the last time you spent any quality time just thinking about heaven? Now, the phrase I had you underline, think about the realities of heaven, does that sound to you like a suggestion or a command? What does it sound like? You're afraid to say that out loud, aren't you? Because we treat it like a suggestion, don't we? Yeah. Think about the realities of heaven. Set your sights. Now, the second word he uses is the word realities. Because one of the bigger challenges that you and I have in this life is to learn to tell the difference between what is real and what is only transitory. You see, one of the greater um, seeming contradictions about, about this life is the things that you and I can hold in our hand and we can see with our eyes are all transitory And the things that you and I cannot hold in our hands and cannot see with our eyes tend to be real. And the amazing thing is, you would think something you could hold in your hand would be real and something you can't hold in your hand would not be real. But it's the exact opposite of that in life. It's a great paradox. The Bible very clearly says that everything you can hold in your hand is destined to perish. And so... I find in my life one of the bigger challenges is to get my focus off of the things that I can hold in my hand and to get it onto things that are real in the sense that they last for eternity. That's a big challenge. Huge challenge. So Paul says, set your sights on the, what's that next word? Realities. These are things that last forever. The realities of heaven. Now the second reason he says that we need to have a different perspective about time is because we died to this life. Now that's a hard concept to grasp. But when Paul says we died to this life, he's not talking about us being lifeless in this life. He's talking about us being unresponsive to the allure of this life. When a person is dead, they simply don't respond. That's one of the ways where, that we use to test for life. Is this person responsive at all? And Paul says that you and I, this life has all sorts of allurements. And in fact, we're going to talk about those allurements in a little bit because he describes them. We need to learn to die to that. In other words, this first 60 or 70 years, all of the value systems and the things that we can easily get wrapped up in, we need to kind of just back off of that and say, you know something, what I'm really counting on and where I'm really aiming and what I'm really preparing for is all of this eternity and that's what I really need to get tuned into. And yet, if the truth were known, most of us spend far more time thinking about the things of this life than the things of the life to come. You know when we tend to think about the things of the life to come? When? When we go to a memorial service. Yeah. 
We'll talk about that a little bit this morning. The third reason, well, let me tell you this. The things of this world I call emotional steroids. Now, I know you've never heard that term before, but I want you to think about a steroid. What does a steroid do to your body? A steroid, if you've gone to the doctor and you've got a problem and the doctor prescribes a steroid, he will tell you that a steroid fools your body into thinking you're doing better than you are. And because your body now thinks that you're getting well and you're getting healthy, it it doesn't feel like it needs to be in pain anymore and send these messages that something is broken and needs to be fixed. And it fools your body into thinking you're doing better than you are. Did you know that's what the things of this world do? They fool us into thinking we're more alive than we really are. And so when we've got our eye on something, we think, man, if I could just have that. Remember when you were a little kid and you wanted a specific toy and you were just thinking, now you didn't put it in these words because these are grown-up people words, but when you were a little kid, you were thinking, if I just had that toy, my life would be complete and I would be filled with inexpressible and unbelievable joy. And I would be happy for the rest of my life. Right? And you got it. Right? And the next Christmas, you said to your parents, I need nothing I have my, my cup is full. I got everything I needed last Christmas. Is that how that worked? <laughs> yes, welcome to how life works here. Yeah, because it was an emotional steroid that made you believe that you were more alive than you actually were. And the longer the year went on, the more you realize you're just as dead this year as you were the year before. That's the deal about the things of this life. And as long as we focus our attention on this life and all that it offers, we miss out on eternity, which is the stuff that really counts. So what does he say? Number three is this, because your life is something that takes place in Jesus. That's your real life. You see, the great dilemma in this life is, where am I going to find meaning? Where am I going to find significance? Where am I going to find happiness? Where am I going to find joy? Where am I going to find all the things that my internal spirit longs for and yearns for? Am I going to find them? Is the source of them in this life or is the source of them in eternity and in Jesus? And I get a foretaste of them in this life. Now, Paul flatly says, your real life is in Jesus. It's not in this world. That's a hard concept to grasp, but I can assure you, when you begin to grasp it and you begin to build your life around it, you will experience a freedom in this life that you cannot imagine. Many of you have been praying for my aunt, who has been battling cancer now for some 12 years. And when I got off the plane last night, I got home, I got a message that while I was on the plane, she had passed away. And you know what was amazing about that? On the way home, on the plane, I had taken a book, and I was reading through the book, and the title of the book was simply Heaven. And I realized that while I was reading about heaven, my aunt was actually going there. Now, when I think about her life from an earthly standpoint, I get sad. But when I think about her life from an eternal standpoint, 
I get happy because I realize she made it. She's there. She is where she was created to be. Her struggle is done. From this point forward, she will never know the struggle that you and I know because she made some choices in this life that prepared her for the life to come. I want to read you something that C.S. Lewis said, and many of you have heard of C.S. Lewis. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and some other things. He said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were those who thought the most about the world to come. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the coming world that they have become so ineffective in this present one. Now listen to this last one. If you aim at heaven, you will get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you will get neither. That's pretty powerful. So that's the first transformation that God wants to make in our lives. He wants us to have a different perspective on time. Now, the second transformation is found in the next five verses. He says, so put to death the sinful earthly things. Now, here's the phrase I want you to underline, lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. That kind of hurts, doesn't it? Because which one of us doesn't get too wrapped up in the things of this world? And he said, Paul says, really, you need to understand that's a form of greed, and greed is only a form of idolatry. He goes on to say, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. That hurts even more, doesn't it? And then he goes on to say, you used to do these things when your life was still part of what? Still part of this world. But what did we just learn? We died to this life. He goes on to say, but now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander and dirty language, and don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off the old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. The second transformation is this. Followers of Jesus choose and develop a different perspective on behavior. This is a lot more simple uh, than you might think. You see, the, the phrase I had you underline is the, is the phrase lurking within you. If you don't get that, you will never have a life that's worth living. You see, we tend to look in the mirror and think, I'm a pretty good person. Remember Jeremy, when he first looked at his portrait, he thought it was pretty handsome, right? But that's because the portrait wasn't telling him the truth about who he really was. And we tend to look in the mirror and we think we're a pretty good person, but we don't realize that the Bible clearly says that lurking within us is some very, very dangerous stuff. And I want us to go back to that passage and I want us to see the list of things that Paul says lurks within you and within me. Here it is. Sexual immorality. You go, what? It does. It's within every one of us. 
impurity, lust, evil desires. Greed is there. Even idolatry of a, of a form is in there. And then he says, when you move on down, anger and rage and malicious behavior and slander and dirty language and lying. And that, that by the way, is not a complete list. Do you understand? That's a representative list. And what Paul is saying is that's in all of us. And if the right circumstances present themselves, you and I could and would fall to one or more of those unless we invite God's transforming power into us. That's the point. You see, prior to becoming a Christian, how did you choose your behavior? (laughs) I'll tell you how you chose it. By your desires. What was the mantra? Um, If it feels good, what's the rest of it? Oh, yeah. And it can't be wrong when it feels so... Yeah, Yeah, of course. That's how we chose our behavior. In fact, we chose that to such a degree that even if something was illegal, we often found a way to do it, right? I know, none of you want to say amen at that point. But it is true. Yeah. What we did is we took our desires, our passions, and, 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 and our personal tendencies, and we elevated them to the point of God, and we said, my passions will now determine my behaviors. And God goes, whoa, time out. You don't realize that you have passions on the inside of you that would destroy you if you made them your God. The Bible says, every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. So the, tr- the second transformation that Christ wants to make in us is a transformation from, from choosing my behavior by my desires to choosing my hate behavior based around what God has revealed to me is right or is wrong. That's a huge transformation. That, my friends, is an equally big challenge to that first one of learning what's real and what's transitory. Learning how to choose behaviors based upon what God says because we believe that what God says is a far greater predictor of happiness in our life than simply trying to fulfill our own desires. So that's transformation number two. Let's go to the last two verses and look at transformation number three. So, put on your new nature. By the way, when the Bible says put it on, does that, that kind of infers it might not be automatic? Have you figured that out? It means it's something that you have to do. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life... It doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And I want you to read the rest out loud with me. Ready? Let's read. And He lives in all of us. It means that followers of Jesus choose and develop a different perspective about people. You see, prior to becoming a Christian, why... We, we looked at people through a value system that everybody else looked at people. And it made a difference if they were Jew or Gentile. 
It made a difference whether they were a slave or free. It made a difference whether they were civilized or uncivilized or in our terminology, whether they were part of the social mainstream or part of the social deviance that might live on the street or other places that we would consider less civilized. Prior to becoming a Christian, we see people like that. You see, what God is really saying is, you've got a set of glasses. When He says, put on your new nature, what He's talking about is the old glasses that you used to have, through which you evaluated everyone, and if they stacked up well to your value system, then you, you valued them highly, and you chose your behavior based upon that value. If they didn't stack up well against your value system, then you devalued them and you chose your behavior toward them based upon that lower sense of value. That's how the world works. Everybody's born with those glasses. Even five-year-old children already have those glasses on. Did you know that? Yeah. Because the value systems of this world are deeply ingrained in us and we tend to evaluate and assess the value of people based upon how good-looking they are, based upon how much money they have, based upon what they've achieved in this life, based upon what the title is after their name, based upon how powerful they are, based upon all sorts of those things. And you know the list. I don't need to, to, to give it to you fully. Now, Paul says, put on your new nature. What is that new nature? Well, the second phrase that he uses is, to learn to know your Creator. You know what God says? When we come to Him and say, Okay, God, I want to be transformed by You. God said, Can I have your glasses, please? We go, what do you mean, my glasses? No, I, have to, I need your glasses. I want to give you some new glasses. And God takes our glasses. He throws them in the trash. And He says, Here, try mine. And when He puts His glasses on us, we see people altogether different than we used to see them. No longer do we see them as rich or poor and decide that we will value the rich and maybe devalue the poor. Or we will envy the rich and feel compassion for the poor. No longer do we see people as, as Jew or Gentile or black or white or whatever else that they might be. We see them as people. No longer do we see them as civilized or uncivilized or people who could contribute to our life or people who wouldn't contribute to our life or people we want to hang around with or people we'd like to be seen with or people we don't want to be seen with. We don't see people like that. We have a new set of glasses. And they enable us to see people altogether differently. Now, friends, why would God want us to do that? Well, it's right in that passage. The third phrase he uses is so that we could become like Him. You know what I wrote in my notes? I know it's not a real word, but I think you'll get it. Unhuman-like. That's what God wants us to be. That we would not view people as other people would view them, but that we would view them as God views them. And it's only by spending time with God and being around God that we can begin to see people as He sees them. And then we can begin to behave toward them as God would behave toward them. It's a huge transformation. You know what I wrote in my notes after that? I wrote our title. And that is, not just better... What is it? Different or new. Yeah. 
I don't want to be a polished up version of me. I don't want God to take my glasses and just kind of polish them up and put them back on my face. I want to say, God, why don't you give me your glasses because I want to see people in the world as you see them. You know, in the end, I want to read you a passage of Scripture and I want to read you something that uh, God gave me out of that passage. And the passage is here in John chapter 4. Here's what Jesus said. He was, sta- he was standing beside a well, speaking to a woman, and about the water in the well. He said to her, everyone who drinks this water in this well is going to get thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will actually never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Friends, in that, in that passage we see the basic reality of life. There were two sources of water there. There was a well that had the water of this world in it, and there was Jesus who had the water of eternal life. And the question is, which one are you and I going to drink from? The fountain of the world says... Drink from me, for I am the source of real life. It's found in the pursuit of beauty, passion, adrenaline rushes, intelligence, power, prestige, pride, talents, possessions, and so forth. If you don't feel alive today, it's because you haven't taken a deep enough drink from my fountain. If you drink more from my fountain than others do, you'll feel more alive than they do. And that's the secret to life. You feel most alive when you have more beauty and more possessions and more talent and more adrenaline rushes and more power than those around you. Drink from me. I am the fountain of self-pursuit and self-indulgence. Drink from me, for I am the real source of life. The other fountain, however, is the fountain of Jesus. And Jesus says, drink from me. For I am the real source of life. It's found in the pursuit of selfless service and blessing to others. I offer a life of giving love where love isn't deserved, of blessing everyone, even those who don't bless you, of building partnerships with those around you instead of constantly competing with them. I offer you a life of self-control and and of freedom through self-discipline in the place of self-indulgence. I offer you a life of significance, honor, and integrity. If you don't feel alive, it's because you've been drinking from the wrong fountain. Drink from me. I'm the fountain of transformation. Drink from me, for I'm the source of real life. As you watch the conclusion of this portrait of Jeremy. Yes, I want you to pay attention to it, but I want you to do more than that. I want you to ask yourself some very important questions. Just take the three we've talked about. How's your perspective on time? You have your sights set on eternity, and and do you think about heaven, and do, do, do you Do you order your life around that every day because your sights are actually set on heaven or are they too much set on this earth? How about your perspective on behavior? Your behaviors, do you choose them based upon your feelings 
or upon what God calls you to do because it's right. And then last of all, your perspective on people. I want to encourage you. When you know the answers to that, you'll know which fountain you've been drinking from. I want to encourage you. Decide this morning, from this day forward, I will drink from the fountain of Jesus. Are you all right, Daddy? Oh, yeah, yeah I'm okay. Uh, why are you still up? I thought you'd be in bed. You said you'd come in and say goodnight, but then you didn't. I, I had to come out here and find you. I have a present to give you. Oh. Mommy helped me with the words, but it was all my ideas. <laughs> no, Daddy, don't open it now. Open it on the plane when you miss me more. Oh, okay. So, what would you like me to bring for you? Could I have whatever I want? As long as I can fit it on the plane. Anything? Anything. You promise? What would you want? Can I have a lawyer? <laughs> Honey, I told you, you don't need a lawyer. <laughs> well, if I don't need one, you don't need one either. Because we both have God telling us what is right in our hearts. Oh, I suppose that's true. Good night, Daddy. Have a good trip. Good night, honey. Thank you. Dear Daddy, I want to be just like you when I grow up. I miss you when you're gone. Hurry back, little Princess Amanda. Oh, God! What have I become? Carrie, I need you to get in touch with Mike. I need to meet with both of you before I go. I need to make some changes. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.